The following episode of Fofop is classified MA. It contains some coarse language, some nudity, drug references, a sex scene, time travel, terrible Batman impersonations, a Charlie Clausen pronounced Clausen shaped hole, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15, and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Everyone relax, this is Tofa. <laughs> Ironically, I'm not relaxed. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Tofa. I'm Lamson. And first time guest, Charlie Clawson. This is very exciting to have him on. We met uh, during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and now now we're going to be friends. This is this is the official confirmation that we're going to be friends. Yes. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Alex Edelman. How are you? I'm doing excellently. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, my name is uh, Will Anderson, or uh, Will Andersoni, as I heard you refer to me <laughs> on. I think it was the Little Dum Dum Club, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the Little Dum Dum Club. I said all of the Australian comedians, like it's like Husey, Hillsy, and I was like, Will Andersony. How come there's no uh, Andersony? And I got a few tweets. He will be in like. Uh, Anderson is what we should call him from now on, but I don't think it'll stick, honestly. Uh, sometimes I'll get a Willsy, Hillsy and Willsy, if Willsy. we're together. Yeah. Ah. But um, I I prefer Ando, has not caught on. Oh, Ando is great, but how did I not think of Willsy? Yeah. I'm so stupid. <laughs> Husey, Hillsy, Willsy. That is absolutely the uh, the Holsey trinity of, uh, oh, yeah, of, the of Aussie trinities? comedy. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's nice. I like it. Uh, what was actually? That's a really interesting question because uh, you came to. So you're from uh, Boston. Where, Boston originally. Boston. I live in New York. Uh, do you have you got a still a Boston accent? Because I, here's my thing, and this is you know like okay, this is the weird thing. But Jen, yeah. Jen Kirkman's Boston, right? Yes. And her parents like when she does an impression, hardcore Boston yeah, accent of her mother. I can't even do it. I can't yeah. do the accent of her mother. But when she does it, I find that accent really really attractive like i think that i have to meet some like proper old school well that's the problem Boston jen kirkman woman. is this glamorous beautiful right. like <laughs> like 40 something angel of a woman who would be like a perfect match for you right but and i needed to talk only in that really thick Boston no accent. no what i'm saying is that she's she's perfect it's not the accent that's the problem right the thing is i grew up there so everyone i know there who has like who who has that accent is like every woman of her age with that accent is like shaped like a pear and like <laughs> talks like a motherfucker because they smoke fifty cigarettes a day and so like you haven't met them yet yeah. you've only met beautiful la lafi Jen Kirkman who has yeah. like been living in Los Angeles long enough that she is gorgeous and she's so cool but here's the thing Alex even when you did that accent I found you it turn on a little bit <laughs> great. Well, maybe maybe it's just I'm perfect as well, it's, and you need to meet. It's that dirty accent. Oh, man. It, it does it for me. No, well, it's, it's weird because same with Australian accents. Is it? Because I love that, that strong accent. Like, you like the really strong one. Yeah, although like Sam Simmons took us to the zoo, mm-hmm. and there was some kid throwing a fit. And it was the ugliest accent I've ever heard. It was a five-year-old boy. And he was saying, Mommy, Mommy, I want to see the kangaroos, Mommy. And I was like, Sam, where is that accent from? It's gross. And he went, that's a Tassie accent? Oh, yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> like, that's a Tassie accent? He goes, that kid will be, um, I had never heard the word bogan before. 
So like it was just the ugliest accent you could ever possibly hear just coming out of the mouth of a five-year-old. And like because Americans are like somewhat familiar with the Australian accent because like we know some Australians and like Crocodile Dundee was a massive hit. But like when you hear it in person in Australia, I was just like. Oh God! But <laughs> well, there is a um, certainly a bogan accent. Like, uh, but the thing about Australia and what I love the most is Australia is a country that I would refer to as being ninety five percent bogan. Like most people in Australia, are bogans, but everyone else thinks that someone else is a bogan. It's so funny because like I loved Australia. Like I thought it was. I thought it was. So people would be like, "How is Australia?" And I was like, "Great." And then people would say, "Like, well, you've only really been to." Melbourne and Sydney and it's like that in Perth and Brisbane and like and they would say like six other cities and I'd be like that's probably where like most of the population lives though right right that's most of Australia you just mentioned 90 percent yeah and so they're like but the other parts of Australia are shitty I mean but also like you say but if you like even just you go well you only went to Melbourne and Sydney right so you've seen pretty much where half of the country lives it's astounding But I loved it. People were like, well, it's like going to Austin in Texas. And I was like, you mean the cool parts? Right. <laughs> I was like, you mean every every part has cool parts. It's like going to it's like going to well, you've only seen New York, LA, Seattle, and Boston. And so you don't really know the United States. I'm like, really? Because that's like twenty percent of the country, twenty-five percent of the country, and it's an enormous country that's very, very populated. And so like But also just that idea that you have to go and see the terrible bit of something when you visit. Yeah. Like, yeah. who's doing that? Nobody. Like, hey, I went to Italy and I had a really good time. Oh, yeah. Well, you know what, though? Yeah. You didn't go to this street yeah. where everybody's homeless and has got AIDS yeah. and is on meth. You didn't go to the parts that are controlled by the Italian mafia. No. You're like, obviously not. No. Why would you go there? That is the place you don't go. Exactly. And all the people worth knowing have moved out of that place. Right. None of, none of them are there anymore. And even those people are probably not so bad. They're just probably unhappy about their neighbors. Right. Oh, you went to Paris? Oh, you had a romantic time? Yeah. Well, you didn't get shot for drawing a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad, <laughs> did you? Well, that's also a Paris experience, yeah. right? <laughs> Everyone's experience is different. But, like, I mean, for me, comedy has been this, like, last few years sounds so tacky, but like, oh, it's been this kind of like grand adventure where like gotten to go to Scotland, gotten to go to Australia, gotten to go to Sweden, like gotten to go to England. So but, like, but also from your point of view, and because I want to talk about that because you're yeah. an American, yeah. right? And that's like for Australians, Australians are the most traveled people in the world by yeah. necessity. No, you know, no, I know most, that. most, uh, most uh, passports per head of population, I believe in the entire world, because the very nature of Australia is if you want to go anywhere else, you need a passport. Is that what a Contiki is, by the way? A what? Contiki tour? What's a what's a what's a conti? Is that like a shitty? Is that like a shitty like stag do bachelor party tour? Yeah, well, basically, yes. Oh, okay. When you're about like eighteen, okay, like well, eighteen until I guess people who want to recapture eighteen at forty or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I mean, I believe there's contiki tours of all kind, but I associate them with a bunch of like younger kids saving their money after university, going on a shitty tour around Europe where they mostly drink and embarrass themselves. Around it's so funny because different countries have that as part of a cultural touchstone. Like Israelis, young Israelis always do that after they get out of the army. So you get like 22, 23-year-old Israelis in the best shape of their lives going right. to like bang locals in Peru. Like yep. that's basically what it is for them. So for you guys, that's, that's how you get them. In, that's how they convince them to actually do their Israeli <laughs> army training. They're like, yeah. look, you're going to At the, the end, army. there's a big party. It's boot camp. It's essentially boot camp. <laughs> and is. then you are going to fuck for two years. <laughs> you will never look better. Yeah. You'll never look better. You'll be hot, tan, yep. and lean. <laughs> and you'll just have this great time. By the way, are we recording? 
Cool. That was a little. That was a little joke about. Uh, we are uh, recording. There's a little joke doesn't about mean, Superpod. Does not mean that. Uh, <laughs> by the way, though, that it will actually go up. <laughs> there is a. There's a difference between. I'm doing a new thing now with the podcast. In fact, it's nice to explain things on air. I always enjoy yeah. explaining things on air, uh, because I don't have any other opportunity to explain them to people. Really, uh, I've got a new theory with the podcast now. Yeah. Uh, because I lost a few episodes. Because I'm t- how. You're not good with organization. Uh, I'm not good with any of this. Like I. And I've said it. I've done the podcast now for nearly four years. We've done over. I've done over two hundred episodes of Fofop. We've done over a hundred of Tofop. I've yeah, done yeah. like thirty of Philosophy or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have learned nothing. Yeah, like nothing. In yeah. fact, sometimes I feel like I've gone backwards. I have the bare level of competence. This is exactly what I have. Mm-hmm. If nothing goes wrong with how I know to record this and put this on the internet, I can record it and put, put it, it on, on the, the internet. internet. The minute something goes wrong. It's it. It's a complete you're, fucking you're mystery gone. to you're me. Gone. I See, don't know. You know, it's so funny because I, I have a sense that you were about you were about to ask me about traveling a lot. I say yes because Australians, like, and like I really found that to be kin, like kindred spirits when I got to, like, uh, like especially with like you and like Adam Hills and Ronnie Chang. Like Ronnie is a well traveled dude, like uh-huh. almost obscenely. Like he was raised in New Hampshire and born in Malaysia, and like his family still lives abroad, and like. And like I really on the run. I believe he's on the run. Yeah, yeah. He's Ronnie's, running from Ronnie is an international criminal. I'd imagine. Sure. I'd imagine he actually could be. Do you know what I mean? He could be, and we wouldn't like of, know it. Of all the comedians who what could be using think? comedy as a cover for being an international... Oh, my God. I think we might actually be onto something. Don't you think? That would be... Like, like when you look at Ronnie and the places he goes... He's and the too way nice, he, too. He's, he's too, too nice. nice. He's trying to keep a low profile. Right, and he's doing so well, and that's the perfect cover. I mean, you're traveling... That he, would explain why he's so intense all the time. Right, and how he always knows where to go, and he yeah. has all these plans about This place everything. is not on any of the maps. Right. You have to go to this restaurant. It's not on any of the maps. Right. I love... I, Here is where you can get a passport. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I do love doing accent, Ronnie. No, I love doing Ronnie's accent. It's not great, but someone said that I did Ronnie's accent to someone. And they went, "That's so racist." I was like, "It's not racist because it's ten percent Malaysian, ten percent Australian, and eighty uh, percent just intensity." I think that it's not racist because you're not doing. I mean, I wouldn't even know what his accent is. It's no. not like you're going, "Hey, Ronnie is Malaysian, so I'll try to do a Malaysian accent." When you try to do Ronnie. You're 100% doing, doing Ronnie. Ronnie. There's no one else like At it. At worst, you're Roncist. Because he's, <laughs> he's so intense. And I love it. I loved, but that was, but you know what? Ronnie had made this website. Did you, do you yeah. know about this? So this is his website where it's basically like a starter guide for people who've come to a, a town. What restaurants and bars and stuff, It's right? amazing. Right, pe- like, talk people through it because people uh, people have heard Ronnie on this podcast, hopefully, oh, but, but they haven't heard him talk about this. So tell me this. Ronnie made this website and it's so Ronnie. It's called I'm Okay With Anything. Mm-hmm. And like, by the way, you'll forgive me. Like, I just said that a little bit in Ronnie's voice. Like, I'm Slightly okay with Ronnie. anything. And 10% so, Ronnie. Yeah. And so like... Ronnie was like, don't you hate it when people are, I'm sorry, sorry. No, it's fine. don't no you hate one... it when people like say they're okay with anything, but then you ask them where they want to go and they say like, they, they just have no suggestions. He's like, so if you're sick of these fucking people, so like it's a list of people who are coming, it's for people who have just come to Melbourne of all of the best like places to eat, breakfast, brunch, uh, lunch, dinner, and late night food. And of course, comedians haunt the late night food part of that because, like, it's after you finish work. And, like, there's just a little description of every place and, like, the price range and the food. And sometimes it'll be like a little story like, Nick Cody loves this place. He likes a, he likes a peanut butter shake, which is disgusting, but whatever. And, like, it's so much fun. To, the like, thing about it site. also, I think, that is interesting is it's split into different price ranges. Mm-hmm. Now, that's the, I think this is really. It starts off as cheap, but if you scroll down the page, 
you know. Because sometimes you want to go somewhere a bit nicer. Yeah, of course. Know? It's always the last option. Like, it's pricey, but it's good. Yeah, well, it's still open. It's still open. <laughs> exactly, or still open. But it's Josh Earl and I were eating our way through this list oh. all of the way. Well, but see, like, that, that wouldn't be a bad thing for people to do because there's this thing that people do during the Melbourne Comedy Festival, the, uh, the Funny Tonne. Uh, which is basically there's a bunch of people who try to see as many shows as possible. Over a hundred shows they'll each you see. You know what? Right? That must just kill you, though. Ah, uh, yeah. I think it becomes more about the the endurance, the of endurance it? than the enjoyment. But um, you know, for the performers, sometimes that's what the comedy festival is about as well. Maybe you have to complement that, like sort of a progressive dinner, yeah. by eating your way through Ronnie's list as well. But you know what? I also find that like I'll remember things much more. It's nice to have a local. It's nice to have a great thing. Like sure. I went every day to that Tropicana juice place that makes that secret shake. Uh huh. It's on. It's like you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do know what you're talking about. So, but like, I love the way that you say that makes the secret shake. It makes the secret. You, shake. you have to go up and wink and be like, "Hey, you they know, call you know. it the secret shake." Though right. it's not that secret. They're like, "It's our most popular shake. Yeah. It is the secret shake." Yeah, not a secret at all. No, not at all. No, but it's a, but it's it's although so, maybe that's the secret. Yeah, that it's hiding in plain sight, <laughs> much like Ronnie, Ronnie Chang. Chang. And so it's a Ronnie Chang of shakes, <laughs> right? Um, also, uh, no one knows exactly where the fruit is from. Right. So it's, uh, but so it's a um, like that's where I went. But also, it was fun to go to places that were just like new and go to a different place every day. Like, remember, I went to the place with you after your show. Oh yeah, sure. That used to be an old abandoned synagogue. That's right. And so, like, we like met your brother there. Remember, we talked, and I had been to the Western Bulldogs game that day. Go Bulldogs, and and like, and talked pretty specifically about like about what I was, uh, like, what I had seen. And, like, it was a fun conversation. You remember that a little more just because the surroundings are a little bit different. I think that's very uh, true, uh, it basically, of of sense memory in general. Like, the, they say that if you can recreate the environment in which you the experience happened, that you're more likely to remember, you know, uh, exactly exactly what happened in the story. So tell me, the, the Bulldogs is interesting because tell me about going to a game of AFL football. Tell me about, I also want to know about your preparation because you're not a guy who just decides to like rock up to a game of football and just like you... Well, first approach, I read up on right? all of the. I read up on as many of the players as I could. Right. See, and that then, alone interests me. Like, like, how much research did you do before the game? You know what? Only took me probably about 45 minutes. Right. There are a lot of players. I ended up knowing a lot about players who didn't play at all or who barely played. I'll be like, is that Lambert? They're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, yeah we're not even interested in yeah, him. Yeah, we don't even, no one, no one cares. I was like, that guy's, but also it meant I knew like facts that weren't like, you can be like, that guy is the only South Asian player in the in the game. Oh, Ling Jong. Yes, who I love. <laughs> yeah. Who was great, who was active. Yeah, but like it's, it's weird because, is that what they call him? No, well, that's what I call it. That's great. I'm trying to get it going, but it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it was weird how people would try to explain it to me based on how... Um, People would try to explain the game to me based on what they think would, would be a reference point for me, but oh. sometimes they were facts that I already knew. They'd be like, that's our Tom Brady. And I was like, he, he's not. He's barely playing. Uh, They're like, yeah. that's Lambert. They're like, who's the guy who just, Boyd? Was that the guy who was signed for a whole ton of money? Yes, Boyd. So they'd be like, Boyd, he's our Tom Brady. And I was like, how is he your Tom Brady? They're like, uh, he's wealthy now. Yeah, and, and like, good looking. Yeah, he's good like, looking and wealthy. I was like, but that's not yeah. what makes Tom Brady Tom Brady. No, Tom Brady, Tom Brady is actually incredibly good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think that also um, uh, Tom Boyd's in, uh, deflating all the footballs at the moment. <laughs> I think that's what it is. And banging supermodels. But you know what? It took me 10 minutes to pick up the game. But to pick up the 
75% of the game. And then there's 25% that they couldn't even explain to me. Like, so they had to be like, well, the ref, well, like if the ball's kicked out, the ref determines whether or not they kicked it out. The umpire. Sorry. Like, that's another thing. Like, I was like, yeah, they scored a field goal. And people were like, what the fuck no. are you talking about? No. And this I was like, the they kicked it to the upright. So yeah. like, that's a goal. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, but those are field goal posts. Those are upright. So, like, right. no, you're you're wrong. You're just wrong. What I love the most, though, is, of course, they know exactly what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, of course. I always love when somebody makes a point about something, is if you're speaking a completely foreign language. Oh, yeah. When everybody knows exactly what you're talking about. And by the way, like, you know, when and I was only doing it to joke. But no, like, no. But when somebody says referee, of course, yes, they're a fucking referee. Yeah, of course. They're doing the same job <laughs> as a referee. Just like they work a footlocker. Like, it's the same right. thing. But, like, these guys. They like it was impo- one. It was hard for me to get my head around the fact that like in the in AFL, if a player kicks a ball out of bounds intentionally, yes, then that's that's not uh, what uh, is if, that? If you kick it out intentionally, it's a free kick for the other yes, side. Yes, it is. Or if you uh, if it, if it goes out intentionally, yeah, if you put the ball out of bounds intentionally, but the. My favorite thing about that, and they maybe, have to read their, they have to like right. read their minds. They have to just they make have a to judgment know their call. Intent. They have to make a judgment call. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. And even like ice hockey, where things are subjective, like if there's very distinct rules, like a slash slashing penalty in ice hockey is if a player draws his hands back past a certain point. Like if a like, it's just the weirdest thing in the like. If there's a high stick, doesn't matter if the player lifted his stick above his shoulders out of by accident. Like so that's a high stick. So. That was hard for me to get my head around, but like one the- of my favorite things about the game is, by the way, it feels like they're drilling through this wall yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of my favorite things about the game is the subjective nature of it. It's great that there is so there are so many parts of the game, and this is my favorite thing is when people get mad at the umpires. Yeah. Not only do they have to know a bunch of rules that change every year, because the thing about to, to explain to people uh, like the difference between say AFL football and like say soccer, the world game football, yeah. is that soccer has like five rules. Yeah. And they've always been pretty much the same rules. And the referees still managed to fuck it up. In uh, Aussie rules football, they change the rules every year because the game develops. As the game develops, they change the rules in the spirit of the game to keep the game. So they're basically what they want to do. So if like a if it if a coach comes up with a way of like you know kind of a, a tactic or whatever that then kind of changes the nature of the game, yeah. they'll change the rules to change the nature of the game back. And it means that the umpires every there are people complaining about umpires making decisions where the fans don't understand the rules. Of course. Like they're mad that the umpire hasn't called something that hasn't been a rule but for the, five years. But the people that were like also the viewing experience was strange because like I went with people who were really connected to the Bulldogs uh-huh. and their son in law, their future son in law, was one of the umpires. And oh, and about okay. ten minutes into the game, they were unhappy with how he was calling the game. So like, come on, Jacob, get your head out of your ass. Like they're like, look at him. He has his mother's eyes, doesn't he? <laughs> it was so funny, but like, oh, and he's always late for Sunday dinner. Exactly. Let's let's not, let's not forget that as well, like, guys. People around them were just like, "What the fuck is your son-in-law doing?" <laughs> just like they were embarrassed by it. And also, we were sat in like the members' area, but not the dining room. Uh-huh. And I was wearing a collared shirt and jeans, but oh, not okay. a suit. Okay, sure. And. And I was looking. I was curious to see like the portraits that were on the walls of the members' club. So okay. I just walked in. Sure. And there was a woman. There in a jacket, a security guard. Yeah, a security. And she went, guard. "You can't come in here." And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, "It's fine." And I think just the American accent threw her, and she's like, "It's not fine." I was like, "I'm just seeing the portraits. I'm not having dinner," because that's what I thought she was right. upset about. So I just walked in, and she just she didn't know what to do. So, like about right five because later, normally her like tra- all her training is if someone says they want to come in and they're not meant to be here, you tell them they can't come in, and then Australians go, "Oh yeah." <laughs> <laughs> 
All okay. right, I won't come in then. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. But that's as far as she's been trained. In. She didn't have that second... But she, if she had said to me, look, you're not wearing a suit. Yeah. But I look around and realize everyone else is wearing a suit. And right. then I look at the woman and she's got her manager and she's pointing at me. And this one guy sitting next to me says, I think, uh, I think they're unhappy with you. And I said, yeah. I'm really sorry. So the manager comes over and he goes, it's fine. He's with me. So he tells me he's one of like the old players and his portrait's up there on the wall and he like points it out. And then he starts explaining like the finer points of the game to me. Couldn't remember his name like for the life of me. Uh. And then he's like, you in town for the comedy festival? And I was like, yeah, yeah. And so like it was was like a nice chat. Australians, especially in Melbourne, so goddamn friendly. Plus, like, the comedy festival will open some doors for you in Melbourne. Oh, people want to know why you're there. People have always gone. They can't wait to tell you their story about you, for fuck's sake. They're but just like, but yeah. also, my favorite thing about it is, even for me, it's like that. Like, no one gives a shit about me in August in Melbourne. Like, like, but, oh, yeah. but like in like in April in Melbourne, people are like, come to this, be my guest at this. Yeah, absolutely. And then I'm like, oh, but I don't really have time. I'm working. Can I do it in September? Fuck you in September. Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> But then next April, they're like, hey, remember you want to come? How about this year? Come in this year. But it was so funny. Like, I went to someone's house in Turak. Uh, and, like, they were, um, I don't know Melbourne. So I didn't know it was, like, a fancy neighborhood. It was, like, this. As be- fancy as you can get, it really. Was, it was on Albany Road in Turak. Mm-hmm, nice. So, like, and, I mean, I, I told Rebecca Austin, who's, like, the coordinator for the International Acts at the Comedy Festival. Yes. I told her, I was like, hey, I'm going to be a little... Uh, like, I'll be right on time to my show tonight because I'm coming from Sabbath dinner in Turak. And she goes, oh, really? Where? And I showed her the address and she, like, said, that's so-and-so's house. And I was like, oh, really? Is it a nice house? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, they've been inviting me, like, nonstop over the course of the festival. And, like, I went and the house is, like, literally $45 million. They built it from nothing. And, like, and like it's the most gorgeous house. And, like, all they want to do is, like, talk about the comedy festival. Like, these incredibly wealthy people who would just never go down to it. Right. They want to know about like yeah. they want to know about the festival, what it's like. What is this festival? Should we get one of the one of them over for one of our dinners? Yes, they actually were like, "Who would you hire?" And I was like, "Well, they're just not here for a lot of it." They're like, "You know, we're thinking of giving some money to that festival." And I was like, "You, you should give money yeah. to the festival. We loved, we loved the th- the festival is brilliant. Also because like you get festival experiences. Like, su- I want to talk about Superpod because okay, I was at Superpod too." Because Greg is Greg and I had I never met Greg Barrent, uh, Greg Barrent, but I was a fan of his from when I was a kid. Cause I would see him on Comedy Central, so I was like psyched to meet him. And also, like I mean, I I because I have probably a similar experience to you because before Greg and I became friends, we actually became friends in Edinburgh. You know, people listening to the podcast will know who Greg is. Oh, uh, Greg's a regular. Yeah, of course, a regular. Yeah, as I like to think, and, he's a uh, sister podcast. Yes, and in fact, uh, many of the American listeners we have from this podcast came to us through Walking the Room in yeah, the first course. place. And uh, no, no, so people are very familiar, and they were also. I mean, not everybody will be familiar, and it's not my place. Although he's speaking about it a lot more publicly now about his illness. But well, I found I was the first person that like. Like, we were hanging out a lot at the festival. Yeah. Because I met him. We became friendly. Uh, and, like, he was a lovely guy. I came to see my show on the second day. And that was cool for me because, like, one of my comedy heroes, like, sitting. And I could see his, like, sunglasses. Cause... Uh-huh. So we hung out pretty much every day for a week. We did the bitching that you do about, as comedians, about, like, this and that. I tried to, like, hide quietly that I was, like, thrilled to be hanging out with the dude. We talked a lot of comedy. He's got a lot of experience. And then he calls me to his room on, on a Saturday. And I had to go somewhere. I had to go to a gig. And uh, and I picked up uh, the phone. And Greg's like, come to my room. I was like, I can't. i got to go somewhere. And he's like, come to my room. And I go up there. 
And he sits me down. He's like, do you want some water? And I was like, I was like, Did someone died? Yeah. And he sits down. And, he's, and he doesn't say no. So, so then right. I'm like worried. But you're like, yeah. The minute you go, someone die, and somebody doesn't go, oh, no, 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 it's not that. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah. like, oh, hang on, what? <laughs> and, he, and he went and he, and he sat down and he went, I'm going home. And I'm such a fucking schmuck. I went, ugh. Ticket sales haven't been that bad, Greg. Because <laughs> I know he's in a big room and he's worried about tickets or something like that. He's working out a new show and they put him in like a venue that wasn't town hall, like uh-huh. same as me. And like I was like, people are coming to see you, man. Like, so what are you so worried about? Because I figured it was like a callback to us uh-huh. pitching. He goes, No, no, I'm I'm sick. Because I knew he had a pen, uh, an appendix thing. Well, he thought he had gastritis or yeah. gastroenteritis or something like, but that's not what it no, turned out to be. No, he went to the hospital, and I said, uh, "I said, is it your stomach? Is this time from bothering him?" And uh, and my first thought, guiltily, was, uh, "Who am I going to hang out with?" Right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know anyone at this festival yet. Uh, who the fuck am I going to hang the out? Fuck with? are you doing, man? And I went, "What do you uh, do? You know?" He said they took an X-ray and it kind of lit up, and I was like. And no one ever wants to. And I just went, is it can't? Is it? And, and I couldn't even get the word out. He went, it's somewhere in the C family. Right. <laughs> which is a comedian's way of describing it. And he's like, honestly, he was like a tiny bit relieved to be going home. Just to like see his family. And yeah. like, he's like, he can't deal with yeah. this process here. It's not, not a tumor. It's a series of tumors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, I was like, is it a tumor? No, it's a lot of them. It's a lot of tumors. It lit up. Yeah. But so it was incredible because I was like, so you're going to go home now? He's like. Well, I really want to do Superpod. And I was like, what? And he's like, I, I don't want to do my solo show tonight. I don't think I can muster it up. But uh, I came here really for Superpod. So I really want to do that. I went, what's Because he had mentioned it. And then he explained to me. So I came to this thing. And it's like, it's weird. Like, if this podcast is like a drink of water, like, I just got like a fire hose in the face that night. Right. And someone was just like. I went to this thing that had like a backstory and a mythology and like John Deeks is there like being this guy and I'm and everyone it's just a room full of, full of rabid people. My show ran late from like 9:30 to 10:45. I get over there, it's like 11:15. You guys have just started. It's like raucous and I'm like what the fuck is going on? I had no idea. And like John Deeks comes out and they ha- I have a video of it. Right. And just and just like him saying like on April 5th, 2012 like it's just astounding. Well, and, the and whole the thing, thing. Uh, well, the thing about it is that nobody knew it was going to happen. Really? That's, so Charlie and I, because the original Superpod when we did it, the one the lost recording. Yeah. Uh, although there is a bootleg that some people have put together on the internet from the bits of it they recorded on their mobile That's phones. That's so funny. But it became this kind of myth- mythological thing, and so Charlie and I booked in a live tofop because we'd done a live tofop yeah, yeah, before, yeah. and we just didn't tell anybody that it was going to be like super pod too so the whole time we'd been planning this massive surprise for the audience because we knew people would dig it if that's what it was but we hadn't told anybody and then on that day greg's kind of like well actually the comedy festival messaged me going hey look you know greg's really sick and he's going home like literally the next he was going i think he was catching he's a flight at the like, next morning yeah like the he, next morning he couldn't at five hang or out something. afterwards right and he was full of like morphine and all the drugs that they'd yeah. given him. But he was taking less because he wanted to be sharp for this this thing. And he, to be fair, he was great. Oh, but like, he was mentioning like I have cancer, and people were like, ah, ha, 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 ha. Right. It's, that's a bit that's of a dark hilarious. joke, but that's a that's yeah. a hilarious joke. But like I'm but, sitting in the back, like half crying, half cracking up because every joke was like like Dave 
and Gareth and like or Dave and Greg were just like hitting the the, the mark really really hilariously. And like you guys were just playing off them really, really well, and like everyone was—it was such a great, amazing atmosphere. But like, I didn't know half of the in jokes. And John Deeks is hilarious. Am I, I saying his name right? Yeah. Even yeah. even we didn't know he was going to be that hilarious. No, he stole the show. Stole the show. Absolutely stole like, the show. It was one of those things where I mean, from the start, because it's amazing. Like the reason that he became because he's an Australian legendary announcer. Oh yeah. Like you know, like the 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 sort of um you know the Wheel of Fortune or the no what is it? What's the Price is Right? You know, the yeah. come on down, the, come on down. All that. It's all John Deeks. You know, and he, this is John Deeks speaking. It's a very famous Australian thing. Yeah. And I think uh, originally, I think it was one of his kids listened to the podcast, and we were talking about him one day, and then he offered to do the That's like the so intro funny. for the podcast, and then he's kind of become part of our family and when we did our hundredth in sydney last year at the comedy store he kind of came down and was very funny but wasn't he dressed as santa claus for one santa claus yeah Yeah. he introduced the show dressed as santa claus i mean that's he was so game and but like well beforehand this is the thing i want to talk about was we're backstage and he's dressed like in a in a tux or whatever which again we didn't ask him we (laughs) said can you come down and do this thing Yeah, yeah and he's just rocked up in this like tux and like the whole thing but so before the show, Greg and uh, Dave and Charlie and I are just backstage, you know, talking shit and whatever. And Dixie is just standing in front of the microphone for like five minutes. And we're like, just come and hang out with us. And he's like, no, no, I'm getting in the zone. And I just knew then. I was like, whatever's going to fucking happen with this dude tonight, this is going to be fucking crazy. Because I just knew. He made a choice because we're all sitting on stools up the front. And he said, I'm going to like have a microphone, but it'll just be slightly behind you guys. Yeah. And I'll just stand slightly behind. And I was just like, that's a funny Idea. Choice, like you're yeah. just making a That's funny a choice. Great, you know, make great comedy choices. Well, but, normally in that situation, what you fear is someone gets a little bit of the the love and the attention, and then they do too much. No, but he was perfect. perfect. And you know what? But imagine me, who's never <laughs> listened to an episode right. of either podcast. <laughs> Doesn't know who anybody is. Just knows Greg. Has not yet met Dave. <laughs> like, and now they're just here. And now I'm sitting in this room with people who I don't know, but seem to be like in on this great in joke. Right. And I'm sort of just being introduced and knowing that something cool is going on because I'm recording it. Right. And like having a great time and then walking out going, what the fuck was that? It was so much fun, but you get that shit at festivals. That's the joy of the festival. Yeah. Absolutely. 100%. That's why I've always loved festivals. That it, every festival mm-hmm. there'll be some, i mean th- that last night uh, at the um at, at tommy and carl's show oh when the, at the drunk cast the drunk I cast mean, was insane it was it was one of the most insane festival experiences that i have ever seen or been involved with like like that last night of the festival was like for me one of the best nights because like my room was 115 or something like that and it was the last night of the festival so it was sold out and just because they were great and the capacity was a little more, they added like 15, 20, they added, they had some extra seats. So it was like just packed. I thought it'd be fun to come out to You're the Voice by John Farnham and nice. have everyone sing along because yep. it's like one of my favorite songs and like Australians <laughs> are the only countries that really, really know it. Dude, was it really one of your favorite songs? Uh, from the movie Hot Rod. Is that right? It's Have you seen it in Hot Rod? It's no. It's so funny. There's a big scene to, there's a big scene in it. You know the Andy Samberg movie? It's a shit, it's, <laughs> 
it's so funny. But like, I was like, this will make me sound really stupid. And no one would let me do it until like the last night. They're like, fine, you can do your other voice. I was like, yes. Because I used to just come on. There's no, int- no one goes, ladies and gentlemen, Alex Edelman or something like right. that. But like, I came out. The show was great because they were already loose and excited for like the first thing. You know what? There is something about that song. That because it's uh, I the, what, I don't know if you know kind of what the cultural impact of that song was, but no. when when uh, I just know that I like the song. I never even didn't even know the guy was still alive. So John Farnham was like this massive Australian uh, pop star, like yeah. early on. Does he have a nickname? Uh, well, he originally was Johnny Farnham. Right? Oh my God. And he was Johnny Farnham and he had a song called Sadie the Cleaning Lady. That was his big hit. Ugh. Sadie the Cleaning Lady. <laughs> that right? sounds horrible. Horrible. Yeah. And he was like this teen pop star, right? And then he had a big comeback where he rebranded and he was John Farnham. Like, yeah. he dropped the Johnny and he became John Farnham. So he was really serious and over right. earnest. And it was his big comeback and he had like the big, long, flowing mullet hair. Yeah. And uh, he had, it, 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 at the time, I think the biggest selling album of all time or something ridiculous like that. Oh was my called, God. It was called Whispering Jack. And the hit song from Whispering Jack was... Yellow voice shine on the sand. It would have been number one in Australia for like, I mean, I don't even know, 12 weeks or something ridiculous like that. That song alone. It was... First three albums I ever bought, uh, they're all on ca- all on uh, cassette tape. Oh my so god! Yeah. Uh, I bought them at Brashes in Sale at the Sale Shopping Centre in Sale. Oh my Brashes god. with a gift voucher that I got for Christmas, and the first three albums I bought in my life were Boys Don't Cry by The Cure, uh, Paul Simon's Graceland. Oh no way! What a great and great, John great Farnham's uh, Whispering Jack. Oh they my were my god. first three albums. But you know what, Jen Kerner was on a show with him. Like on some morning show, him and Olivia and oh, John, I guess yeah. they're hosting something together. And no, I was they, like, they were doing a they were doing a um, concert tour together. But I asked, I was like, "Did you meet John Farnham?" And yeah. you know, Jen is like, nah, she's so unflappable and like couldn't give a shit. She's like, "No, no, I don't care." And I was like, "You were this close to John Farnham," and she's right. like, "I, I don't. It doesn't didn't matter." But like, yeah, I. I lo- so like I did the show, then I went over, then I sprinted over to the uh, to the gala or the closing night moose head thing. Oh, the moose heads, yeah, of course. And I went on between Hillsy and Willsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hillsy Willsy sandwich. You closed with Burka Burka Burka. Oh, that's one right. of my favorite jokes <laughs> of the festival. I saw you working it out at the hotel. Um, at what was the it Imperial? The- yeah, at the Imperial. It's the first time I did that joke. So it was just so brilliant to see like. Yeah, it was such, and then we went over to Drunk Cast, and then everyone had like a really good time, and like uh, like afterwards, just like a little bit of drinking, then went then went upstairs to like went back home and all that. It, but like that's a kind of like festival experience. Like the last night of my Edinburgh festival was last year was crazy too, because like I had the best festival you could have, but I was also wrecked. Like so, I, talk people through that experience because like not everybody who listens to this podcast understands what that Edinburgh festival oh was like. God. Tell me, like let's go from start to finish because I think that's a really interesting journey for you. I. Why did you even go there in the first place? Well, I want to do an hour, and you don't really get to do hours in New York unless. But you're but really you famous. really, I mean, going from New York to Edinburgh, like Edinburgh, like people don't understand Melbourne. I think there was six hundred or seven hundred shows this year, mm-hmm. but in Edinburgh, there's like twenty thousand or uh, twenty seven hundred comedy shows a right. day, a day, a day. So I mean, that's just too many. But like, <laughs> it's it just too many. many. But in 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 like so, and I knew that. But what I figured was. I really wanted to do it. And if I prepared really well, then I think I would have, like, I maybe had a good show and would come home with some nice press quotes or, like, maybe a TV or radio appearance or something like that. And uh, the festival, like, changed my life. Like, 
I went in 2014. I moved to the UK May 15th to start previewing because mm-hmm. you know the preview system here is big where you can do hours and like pubs and I did one in a sushi restaurant. How did you, but how did you even know that existed? Because I had did my last semester of NYU here at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London. Oh. And so I had sort what of- What were you studying? English literature, but in at Rada I was doing writing for screen and some like like took some like little acting thing. Okay, inside. so you were kind of like moving towards this sort of stand up world. But like, what the real joy was? I did this thing called the Alternative Comedy Memorial Society, mm-hmm. which is like this um, sort of alt night that like Josie Long is in Sarah Pasco okay, are really cool. and Bridget Christie are like really involved in, and it's run by these two guys, John Luke Roberts and Tom Tuck. And like they want you to do weird, alty stuff, and I just never seen that before. I didn't know that mentality where you can just like go on in a show where people knew the hosts and were like fans of the hosts, like The Shelf in Melbourne, basically. Uh-huh. So this is kind of like The Shelf, where you get like new acts doing their best, established acts doing like the weird stuff that they would like to try, right? And so like or weird characters or things out of their comfort zone. The best gigs, yeah, so much fun, right? And the audience has seven permitted heckles. And like the heckles are like, that's a Tim Vine joke, surely. Would you like a woman to sort it out for you? Um, tell a joke. The ones you've been telling so far have been great. Uh, help, my friend is having a stroke. Not really. Uh, and like they're all these like really friendly heckles. Oh, that's it's the best. so great. And so like I did it and I was like, I didn't know it existed. That's a Tim Vine joke, surely. surely. I didn't know that any of it. And so the audience has great comic timing because if they interrupt, if they it's know, for a reason. Yeah, but if yeah. the audience interrupts and it's not in the spirit of the night, the right. audience self-polices, they'll be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, That's the best. People are like, it's so funny. The audience, they're like comedy nerds and like sort of like a little bit like some of the people at the shelf, like they know that they know comedy and they right. want other fucking people fucking it up. But, I, so but like, I, there's a difference between those two things and I think if you get the balance right. I don't think it's right, a snob thing. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, and if the shelf gets it, go for it. Um, if the shelf the shelf gets it right and I think some comedy rooms really get it right which is there's a celebration you know oh like, yeah where they they are comedy literate but they're not comedy police exactly they'll police the room so that everyone's having a good time yeah but they understand like a proper comedy audience they respect the form they but they also it. respect silly and like there are they some they want to see you having fun right there are some comedy police who seem to have this idea that there's only one sort of comedy. Yeah. Whereas, like, people who actually understand comedy understand that, like, the best comedians in the world love a dirty dick joke or the best Absolutely. comedians in the world love a pratfall or a silly exactly. or a muck around or whatever. I think Tim Vine came and did the show and after, and, and what he did was, you know, Tim Vine does silly one-liners that are puns. Yeah. He wouldn't do pun jokes. He would just do the setups and then move on to the next thing. And so, and so, like the audience is all ready to go. That's a Tim Vine joke, surely, right. at the end of every joke, and he just wouldn't. It just never happened. Perfect. But the audience knew enough to not yell it after every. They just knew what he was doing, and were just reveling in the fact that he wasn't doing what they expected. Yeah. So that was so. Like I found that that's and, exciting, and I was just blown away by this like yep. idea that you could do this because I was a club comedian. Like right. I went on stage on Saturday nights in front of bachelor parties and did like you know like kind of slightly mean spirited jokes where the joke was in like the slight mean spiritedness of it, and like. I didn't really want to do that. Like, it didn't really resonate with me. I have love for comedy clubs in New York. I have love for the ethos. I still do all of those clubs. But, like, I really wanted to sort of, like, I felt like it wasn't me exactly. Well, I think there's a difference between, uh, because I love clubs. Yeah, they're great. I love clubs. And you know what? I love the road, even. Like, not all the road. Yeah, of course. But, like, I love playing, like, I mean, 
to me, like, you know, a friend of mine's in uh, Cleveland this week uh, uh, covering the basketball, like yeah. an Australian journalist, because uh-huh. there's, there's an Australian who's playing for Cleveland in yeah, the yeah. NBA finals. And, who's uh, that, Bogut? Uh, well, Bogut plays for uh, the Warriors. Yeah, that's right. And uh, a guy called uh, Matthew Della Vadova. That's right, yeah. Uh, he's an Australian, and he's doing really well. Uh, so uh, he's over there. And I actually said to the guy, I said, you should pop into um, Hilarities and see Absolutely. Nick. And, uh, and, uh, Nick Hill, which Nick Costas is yeah, the yeah. guy who's been running it for like 50 yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. And he's like this comedy legend. Jerry Seinfeld was at Hilarities. This is my favorite one. He was at Hilarities the night where they got the facts to tell him that Seinfeld had been picked up by NBC. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's an old school comedy club. But the great thing is, I always say that I love the clubs, but I, I like to be able to take my act to the clubs. Exactly. You don't want to have to have a club act. Exactly. So that's exactly what I like. I want to export that club ethos of every joke must kill. Right. But like still be able to like, I don't think you have to compromise that much. But like, I didn't know the other side. And one night Josie Long had me on one of her shows. And afterwards she pulled me aside. She went, you, you know, you can do whatever you want here. She wasn't being like, what you've done is wrong. She just went, you know, you can do whatever you want. Like literally bring, like bring notes, like talk about whatever you want. Like this is the kind of show it is. And I did. And, and it changed who I was as a comic. And then, and then I sort of discovered Edinburgh and thought, oh, I really must do a show. Okay. And so like I wasn't prepared really for what it was. Like I picked my shot. Correctly. No one is. Even if you've been, you're not. That's the, horrible. The thing about Edinburgh is, I, I, you know, th- th- this is an analogy that is overused, but, um, you know, they talk about childbirth. Is there something, there's a chemical release yeah. in childbirth that uh, makes you forget how horrific childbirth is so that you will do it again? <laughs> I think there's a very similar thing that happens with Edinburgh. That is, must be true because, like, and I, again, I'm not ungrateful. It changed my life because, like, I'll, I'll, I'll say this first. Like, like, I went up there and I did... This is how powerful word of mouth is in Edinburgh. I so did. Talk, yeah, talk people through that. So you're doing your My show. Where, where are you doing your show on? Pleasant's at? Attic. At, it's a 60-something seater room. What time of the day? 8.30 p.m. Oh, okay. So a, a decent kind of time decent slot. Decent time slot. I picked my shot. I yep. knew I had one shot at doing a first show. I put all my best material in it. I had a framework. I had a structure. I worked really hard on it. I did the show every single day wherever I was allowed to do it. And even like one place that I wasn't, like I showed up, told them I was allowed to do it. And like, <laughs> like I just wanted, I wanted to do the show so bad. Uh-huh. And like, I want to be ready so fucking badly. And like, I had my balls ripped off at like, I did a show the night of the World Cup final in a 400-seat venue in Hammersmith to six people, one of whom was my agent, and the other one was Kyle Kinane. And, uh, and one of them was a reviewer who gave me a pretty, like, good review, but made it a preview so that it wouldn't have to be like, there were there were six people here. I, I good credit to that person. Good credit. Well to done. Him. Because I, you could go one of two ways. I don't know one. him, but thank you very yeah. much. But like, and it was amazing because like I went up there and the first night. I By had the way, Carl Carl would have loved that. I oh, mean, he did. He would have been a supportive, but he also would have loved the idea of sitting in a four hundred seat venue his, with six people but watching you. His laugh you. echoed. Right. <laughs> 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 and he didn't laugh a lot. So when when it when he didn't laugh, because he's a comic, so comics don't laugh right. even if they think stuff is funny yeah. unless something really strikes them. Yeah. So he would laugh, and then the next joke, you would miss the laugh. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then the next joke, and he would smile and nod, but that wasn't re- like echoing around. Uh, so like I I remember I came off stage that particular show, and uh, 
and like your manager has to be nice. Right. He has to be nice. Mm. He has to. He had come over from the states for Kyle's right. run. I have the same manager, and I was so upset <laughs> that I had that I had a water glass in my hand. And as soon as I got backstage, I tried to do it like it was almost proving a point. Like I'll be professional about this. I'll be fine. Right. I was like fu- in the back of my head, also like fuck my booker for not following soccer. And then uh, and then I mean, it is one of those things where that's not your issue. No, but somebody but, uh, else should have checked that. Hey, do you think this um, World Cup final thing is going to be popular in the UK? Are they interested in in soccer at all in the United Kingdom? But like, I went backstage and smashed this water glass against the wall like a diva. My hand was like cut, like not horribly, but like my manager came back. He's like, "Great show!" And then he sees my face and he's like, "What's wrong?" <laughs> and I was like, "Well, Dave, I just I just did my show to, to the sound of my own footsteps, pretty much." But like, but like, so you go to Edinburgh, you had those experiences, so right. you're like. I'm prepared. Okay. You're not prepared. Nothing prepares you for the crush and onslaught that is Edinburgh. Everywhere you go, there are posters. Sometimes it's your poster, mm-hmm. and sometimes it's not your poster, and you're freaking out. You're like, should my poster be here? Do posters matter? We spent a lot of money on posters. And so, like, you have people flyering you. Someone flyered me, the, like, for my own show, and as a joke, because I was with a friend, I went, is it good? He went, I don't know. And, like, then, <laughs> of course, it ruined but also I'm you're one of these people too Will. you're like one of the only people I know who's like this I want to do everything so like I did a visit to the festival the year before to get ready for it uh, to sort of like again okay. pick my shot nice. I did 140 something shows like just bits and like I ran a new material night and I was also running that new material show while I was doing my first solo show so I was busy 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 mm-hmm. so like and I just can't say no to shit I don't say no so like I'm doing too much like just crushed, just overwhelmed. But the show is starting to like sort of resonate with people because like it's sort of your coming out party, your first, your first show. And also that uh, festival. Uh, the one thing that I will say is because they have uh, with the well, whatever the Perry is now. What is it? The Fosters. The now, Fosters. What, is it the Fosters? Yeah. Um. So th- that city has a tradition of the major awards, which are part of that festival. Only a small part of the festival, but certainly are a part of the yeah, festival. Yeah. Part of the fabric and uh, like mythology of the festival. And if you're first year, you're there is eligible. a focus on first year shows and people want to know who the like there will be a conversation around town who's doing their first show and which ones are good so i wasn't i i don't think that i wasn't anticipated or even anticipating to do that well like because there's a booker bookie that you can go into and in london uh ladbrokes or like they bet on everything here right so like i went in to check odds on myself they were not good odds and i didn't put much more i put a few pounds down because i was like i have to but like I didn't think I was gonna. Right. But so you get up there. Could have paid for your whole season. But yeah. But here's how I found out. Here's how I found out that I maybe had a shot. Somebody said Alex Edelman is one of the most overrated comedians at the festival in like a tweet or an article or something like that. And like it was tweeted at me. And I was like, overrated. And my manager was like, trust me. It's a good thing. And right. I was like, what the like, fuck are you I'm being rated? About? Somebody's because writing like, me? <laughs> but then so, a few days later, there was something that was mean that was written, and someone was like, it's backlash. I was like, backlash against what? What? I'm, I'm, I'm miserable. Hey, I'm uh, broke. I didn't get the first bit. No. What am I getting backlash yeah. against? I was like, backlash without the success sucks. Didn't, didn't Kanye get to buy a mink coat or something before people, <laughs> there was a backlash? But I mean, like, and as the festival progressed, the room got full, which was amazing. So you weren't worried about tickets, but now you're worried about, like, 
judges and reviews and expectations. Tell me like, about uh, how small was it at the start? Because people have heard me tell this a little bit. I can give you a little like recap. 10, 12 people. Yeah. And like, and then, in and my then, first year, because when I was there in 99, Dave Hughes, yeah. Husey and Wilsey in a house together, mm-hmm. little comedy house, 1999, the both of us was the first time either of us had been to Edinburgh. Yeah. And uh, we, I remember it, uh, I sold 35 tickets in the first week. Uh, which that's was that's not uncommon. No, but like Michael and Mittermeier, then the show took, and then it was selling out because it kind of there was some yeah, word of mouth off, and it but took like, off. But Mittermeier is this German, Michael Mittermeier is this German comedian who plays football stadiums in Germany, and in Edinburgh he plays shipping containers like everybody else, mm-hmm. and like and he's a great comic and he deserves the the football stadiums, but like. It was it was so strange, and this is by the way, this is slightly self-aggrandizing because like what ended up happening was I got uh, I got a nomination and I found out about it. My manager called me the day the nominations came out, and he's like, "Hello, Alex, how are you?" And I was like, "Chris, fuck you." And he was like, "He's like, uh, are you saying uh, how? Uh, what do you what are you up to? What do you have for breakfast?" And I was like, "Chris, fuck you." And he was like, uh, "Alex, I'm pleased to tell you you've been nominated." And like I was in this restaurant with like uh my u.s manager who's like my age one of my best friends and like i ran outside and she comes around the corner and i'm like crying into my hand because like and she took this picture of me and i've seen it and occasionally I, like i look at it because it's just this person who's like a broken person right like i barely recognize it like the posture is all wrong <laughs> and like my face is like pale but also red and like my eyes are puffy and like my hair is just greasy and matted and I had showered that morning like an hour before but, like Edinburgh takes that out of you your skin uh, goes sallow you feel sick you drink like it's the end of the world and so like and that was more and everything shock. and all the food's deep fried and terrible all the food as well sucks. So. There's, you cannot find a salad you can't find one and I don't like salads but like you just feel the need for one in Edinburgh and there's nothing and everyone else is going through it too especially internationals uh-huh. Because for British people, it's kind of old hat because they've been to 10. Even if right. it's like they're 26, they've been coming since they were 16. So like, but I was just drained. And then and then I won, which was like the most shock, shocking feeling in the world. And like, I gave a speech I barely remember. I was barely coherent. I tried really hard not to cry. And then when people saw I was trying not to cry, they awed. And I went, please don't do that. <laughs> But like it was a great feeling, but that, that's because but these days they announce the nominations a week out, right? They and they have the for years. But in nineteen, I think I told yeah. you this when no, we were in no. Melbourne. But when in nineteen ninety nine, when I got nominated, um, they uh, only announced them on the final night. Oh my so god! So literally, this was how long I had to enjoy because I didn't win. Uh, ben and Arn were the people who won. I was only nominated. But, yeah. Um, this is how, like, literally, this was like the announcement. It was like, uh, uh, and the nominees for best newcomer are, um, uh, I think it was uh, a, a group called Infinite Number of Monkeys. Yes. Uh, uh, Will Anderson. Yeah. Uh, oh. And then everybody's looked at me like, oh my god, you've been nominated for the very newcomer, uh, uh, Ben and Arn, and the winner is Ben and Arn. That was it. That was really? my entire journey. Was like me going, oh my god, I could win. Oh no, didn't. Didn't just oh back to God. normal then, I guess. No, no, no. But that's the thing. You have that forever. You will always be. You don't need it, though. You don't need it. You won, you won an award every year in a row for seven. To, but like people, I'm sure, politicize the Barry, right? I mean, have you have you won the Barry before? No, I've been nominated a couple of times. But I think probably I'm at a point in my life be. and career where, and for good reason, by the way, yeah. that I, it should, I think I always think awards, because I think awards should only really be for things that people haven't already discovered. But that's the thing. It really, people were not coming to the show 
like uh, at the beginning just because to me that's the here. point of the award like I mean even the the award they give in Melbourne like the whatever the one that I win is the fucking people's choice yeah to me that like I'm very grateful that I win it don't get me wrong yeah but I've like if, if people have come and seen your show that's you've already won yeah of course like that, you don't need another trophy Steve like, Martin the awards should always be for the people who are like hey this was a brilliant show but maybe like heaps of people didn't go and see it and we want to like <sighs> you know highlight that this was you know fantastic of and course. brilliant you know but like Steve Martin who is hilarious like says that pretty uh, he got the Mark Twain award and he said um, I'm so pleased to receive this award which is the most um, significant award for comedy uh, the only Award for comedy, really, except for money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that because he's right. Because awards are for people who really don't have money, except for the Oscars, which always seems like slightly weird to me because they're like, here's the rich, the five richest people in Hollywood, and the richest of the rich is. Leonardo, like, actually, oh, not Leonardo DiCaprio, but like, but, but, no, but you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, I, that, I find. Like the three months where the richest people in the world, richest, most famous people in the world get together to give each other trophies. Like I find that the most indulgent, horrible part of Hollywood. That that kind of award season and all that nonsense around award season and all these people like getting up there and pretending like any of that shit. Fuck, that's the thing. Like I make a great movie and I'm glad that you get rewarded for your great movie. But those orgiastic celebrations of excess. They really are those. But, you know, it's. I can honestly say that it helps. Like, it, it, it helped me. Well, I mean, for, and this is the perfect one. And this is why I think the newcomer and in Melbourne, in Melbourne and in all those sort of things, too. it's important because it's like an opportunity. Like, you're looking at this. You're, maybe you're somebody out there but in the public. But it gave me the chance to go to Melbourne. Like, right. I wouldn't have gone to. I, I don't know if Susan. Susan saw my show, like, the last night. And I don't think she would have been able to can see you it. Can like, that water? Well, yeah, of course. I didn't know if Susan uh, would have had the time to come see it because she has to see all these shows. Susan Proven runs uh, Melbourne Comedy Festival and it's important for her to have uh, like a say in it and uh, and Rebecca Austin wouldn't have been able to see it at Soho if, if and so like those are important things to happen in your career if you want to have an international career so like it really helped and like Again, the reward really is the fact that it's let me do more things. That's the only. That's what awards are in comedy. Then, like you had, you have the same thing. Like, like your comedy career has let you act, and it's let you travel, and like you're playing L.A. and the podcast has has sort of fed into your comedy career. If I'm saying anything that's uh, inappropriate, let me know. But like, no, I feel I like mean, these are, but yeah, absolutely, absolutely right. So tell me about the travel because that's what's interesting to me. Because not like a lot of Americans don't travel, but like I wanted that, so I decided when I wanted it that like, okay, so how do we make this happen? And like everything, ironically, it's been a real benefit back home because they're like, who's this 25 year old doing hours? Because no one does hours. Because uh-huh. 25 year olds work on their seven minutes, and so like, uh, which per- which perhaps they should, but like, uh, but like I really liked doing long-form comedy and, and comedy that said something, comedy that was structured and intricate. And, like, um, and I really enjoyed, like, watching shows in Melbourne that were like that. Like, I loved yours. I loved Watson's. Like, I loved shows that were, that really, Sarah Pasco stuff that really tied together. And so, like, Melbourne exposed me to that. Edinburgh exposed me to that. Although, again, I, I didn't see much this year because I was just uh, trying not to kill myself. <laughs> um, and then... <laughs> But the coolest part was when I was in when Greg got sick, um, they said to me, "Do you want to take his slot in Sydney?" 
And I thought it would be a nice thing because I, I really love Greg. Right. And uh, and his spot really shouldn't go to waste. Finally, like, like someone's cancer is someone else's career. Yeah, I really thought that it yeah. was going to be sort of like, like my experience. <laughs> Have you heard of Wally Pip? No, Wally no. Pip was this guy who was first baseman for the Yankees in the 20s, uh-huh. and he took a day off, and Lou Gehrig stepped in, and, and, <laughs> and, and that was the end of his career. And so I was like, what a Wally Pip thing. It's going to oh, be. No. What, what it meant was, by the way, I had a show in Sydney that was not in the brochure, that was not advertised, uh-huh. and a bunch of people who showed up were like, where the fuck is Greg Barrett? But like it was still a great, they packed the room because Sydney is amazing, and Melbourne is amazing as well, and they produced it, but like, um, so when I was in Sydney, I got a call from Mick Perrin, who's a promoter over here, and he was like, Alex, how would you like to do – Eddie Izzard is putting together this thing called Comedy Sans Frontiers, which is uh, Comedy Without Borders, and uh, two shows on the 70th anniversary of the end of World War II to celebrate this – like." celebrate peace in Europe and I'll have one comedian from France, Germany, uh, Italy, Russia, uh, England, who will be Eddie, and America. Would you like to be our American? And like that shit wouldn't happen if I wasn't traveling a lot. Because wow. like I am not the American comedian. There are a lot of I'm not even two hundredth on that list. But like it's amazing to get that opportunity and you only get that because you're traveling and we and like had you uh, met or performed with Eddie as never met before? him before. Never met him Big fan of his, enormous fan. Two things, on my, three things on my bucket list: going to Berlin, which is around where my Jewish family is from. Oh yeah, okay. um, first guy to go back since in a while. Right, and uh, <laughs> in a while, in a while. That's what that's what we say. In a while, I told my grandfather, and he was like, "Oh, you should see if you can find the old address." And uh, <laughs> and so it was really, uh, it was really weird and emotional, and like, wow. and like, uh, and Russia is a place you never think you're going to go. You never think you're going to do English language comedy in Moscow. Hang on, so you went to went to Moscow to do comedy. What? And, so uh, tell me what that was like. Where are you playing? In we're Moscow? playing in this place. Um, a 600 seat venue. Yeah. <laughs> Which is so funny because Eddie Izzard looks around and I'm like, oh, this is tiny for him. Right. This is like a four seater for him. Yeah. That's like, like Eddie him, plays, that's like him playing six people. And he played the Hollywood Bowl <laughs> five, five, five days ago. Uh, that's 18,000 seats. He definitely, uh, it definitely sold out or definitely almost sold out. And now he's playing like 600 seats and, uh, and he is like so that's his equivalent of playing a Bubba Taco stand. Or exactly, yeah. exactly. And so like, so for him, it's it's crazy because it's so small. For me, it's crazy because it's fucking Russia. Mm-hmm. And like, Izard, this is how much of a champ Izard was. Izard, uh, it was it started on a Friday. The Thursday night they had the elections in the UK. Those elections did not go well for Eddie and his Labour Party. That's correct. Because yes. Eddie had been campaigning for the Labour Party for a while. So. This guy had to stay up pretty much all night watching the election results, not favorable election results, then go to Heathrow the next morning, where I saw him at 6, 6 a.m., dressed to the nines, right. dressed the way he is with like a beautiful scarf, high heels, like unmistakably Izzard, but like bloodshot eyes, gets on the plane, sleeps a little on the plane to Berlin. I'm sat across from him basically like not wanting to bother him but also being like, oh, Eddie Izzard is sleeping right. uh, two seats away from Just me. Just Eddie's other. Just Eddie yeah. Izzard. Whatever. And then we get to Berlin. He has to uh, sit, plan the tour basically, 
do the run through. It's the seventy. It's literally the seventieth anniversary of the end of World War II. Victory in Europe Day. Although they probably don't call it that in Germany. No. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the these guys have got a completely different perspective yeah. on this. this is... The end of European aggression. I think uh, this day was like nothing happened. This yeah. day. I don't even really know what happened. This day. <laughs> it's like so they celebrate that one day later in Russia because of the time difference and Russia's fucking massive. Uh-huh. But so like Izard has to do that, then go to the show, then be introduced as the best comedian in the world and then be the best comedian in the world after six comedians doing their best like i've been i've done an hour and a half i have 20 minutes of material that can do really well and once the german audience finds out that i'm a jew nothing can go wrong because they're not going to be like oh okay and i'm like i'm a jew and my family's around here and they're just like oh all right right see see how much we're enjoying yeah oh he's great hey everybody he's he's great they were the kindest an audience has ever been they clapped some people stood i left Mittermeier called me back on stage to wave one more time and then when i went off after about a minute they came back and they went they're still clapping and i looked into the audience and people are just like dutifully clapping like they're not like yeah. excited they're just like that that, that it was everybody okay, is seeing right. us clap right everyone is seeing just us clap. please they booked hitler's old theater for it hang on what they booked hitler's favorite theater is kind of like a fuck you <laughs> i'm talking to one of the guys are like it used to be called the fiorda theater but now it's the admiral palais they changed it in the 60s and uh-huh. i was like what you, the 60s and he went things go into style things go out of style <laughs> <laughs> Still feels like the sixties may have been a little late for that to go like out of style. I asked, there was one box that no one was uh, sitting in, and I yeah. was like, "Why is no one sitting in that box?" Already kind of knowing the answer, yeah. and they went, "People just don't like sitting in the yeah. box." That's the Hitler box. Yeah, that was the Hitler box, and like they're like, but, but they still will. have the box, right? They do, and there's they set up a video camera, and they're like, "There'll be, there'll be." there'll be a shooting video from that box and I was like every Jew's dream to be shot from Hitler's box <laughs> and they looked around like is that okay is that yeah. okay to say or laugh at but like so that was great but then Izard has also to get you get a- the, the perfect Hitler eye perspective on the gig and he had I mean, great that is, seats yeah, exactly. and they haven't undecorated the box it's still like the most ornate box but no one's sitting there pack theater except for this one box and by the way say what you like about Hitler and say what you like about Hitler but yeah. the truth of it is that you know he's look he liked the arts yeah, I mean, he was an he was an artist. Two you know, good things himself. about Hitler: one, he was an artist; second, he did kill Hitler. I mean, that's a good point. That's a really good point. I mean, the I mean. one thing that everybody says they would do if they had a time machine is go back and kill Hitler. Well, there's only one person who actually a killed Hitler. Who actually followed through on that fact? Hitler. It's Hitler. In fact, Hitler <laughs> is history's greatest villain and hero. <laughs> I'm a bit about that, how when people say, like, they're going to go back in time and kill Hitler, I'm like, really? You're going to show up in Germany in the 30s, speaking only English, wearing Nikes and holding a weapon, being like, can anyone tell me where Adolf Hitler is? Like, it's going to end well for you. Well, here's the moral conundrum, and we've actually spoken about this a lot on this podcast, so I'm glad that you brought it up, because it's one of our favorite conversations. Yes. If you get the opportunity to time travel... And, you know, the first thing that everybody says is that you would go back and you would kill Hitler. Do you indeed kill Hitler? If you do kill Hitler, when do you kill Hitler? Because that's the big moral dilemma. When he's a child and unprotected. Yeah, right? But But then he's just an innocent child who's done nothing bad yet. So essentially you're just killing an innocent child. Yeah, but I could live with that. (laughs) <laughs> I can live with that if I got back and eventually there were... you've time traveled to kill an innocent child <laughs> you know what if I got back here and there were more of my relatives right. <laughs> I think I could sleep through the night <laughs> I think I would get me through some stuff 
Yeah, but, um, but on the opposite side, you never would have got to play a gig with Eddie Izzard. Or see Schindler's List. So think list. about that. Yeah. But it's like, <laughs> that's... Oh, wait. So th- now, we've added mm. this in. So you get the opportunity now to time travel to kill Hitler. You're going to kill him as a child, but you have to remember that, A, yes, you'll have a lot more of your relatives here, but you, B, will never get to gig with Eddie Izzard. Um, well, it'll be on the seven it, because the universe corrects itself. Uh-huh. It'll be on the seventieth anniversary of, of you killing Hitler. No, seventieth <laughs> anniversary of the first person to be killed by a time traveler. <laughs> Hitler will still be famous, but it'll be as the first victim of time travel murder. They'll be like Adolphus Hitler, a small Bavarian boy. They'll call it the Hitler Austrian rule. Boy. There'll actually be rules of time travel mm. that, it, like you know, like when they're kids, like there'll be like a uh, you know, a girl will go missing and it'll become Maddie's law that protects children yeah. from blah blah blah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It'll be like the Amber Alert. Yeah, Adolphus law. Oh, it's it's, it's, oh, it's Dolphy's law. Oh, <laughs> you know you can't, remember you can't kill a child when you time travel. But you know what? What will pretentious people say at parties? Will they be like, I would go back and kill. Uh, Uru Dinidu, and they'll be like, "Who is that?" And they'll be like, "Oh, he's an obscure Ugandan warlord who right. like no one's gotten around to killing yet." But uh, someone took care of Stalin last week, so right. I guess we're all good on that. Like people Pol, just Pol Pot was on my bucket list, Pol Pot, but yeah, uh... but you know this kid in Idaho got him. I don't right. know how he could afford a time machine. I mean, Mugabe's still alive. Somebody just killed him. Yeah. <laughs> like that's the thing. It's not the time period that's the issue. That's what I'm saying. Like again, Americans aren't just gonna travel back in time just walk into Hitler. Hitler's brother-in-law tried to kill him. It right. was, and that was the same time. Period period but like so any case i think your observation though that hitler killed hitler is the that to me i just never thought about that yeah. the one thing that everyone says is the good that you, know, you would be the greatest hero of all time if you killed hitler one good thing about him hitler he killed kill hitler. hitler he killed hitler man that's and so it's, it's so it's it's true but i think um so Izzard, so again, imagine Izzard has to be introduced on stage, best comedian in the world, uh-huh. on one of the toughest days of recent years for him. Yep. Goes on stage, does really well, then gets off stage and has to hang out for a bit and shake hands and be Eddie Izzard. Mm-hmm. And then goes back to the hotel, gets maybe four hours of sleep, wakes up, has to fly to Moscow the next day where he has to be even more of Eddie Izzard because he's even more of a rarity there. Mm-hmm. And then he plays 600 seats after another show filled with goodwill. So tell me uh, who comes, like what venue are you playing in Moscow and who comes to that show? Um, people kept asking, like, are there really, Moscow is a city of 31 million people, yep. 24 million like residents and like 7 million people who are just sort of like just there. So, like, asking for 600 people to show up for English language comedy is not the hugest asking for okay. But, like... So, there's, like, a lot of British and whatever expats there who kind of know... A few, like, but mostly Russians. Okay. Bizarre likes to have Russians in. Yeah, well, it's that's what still... I would think. Like, even when my show's here, like, I mean, I, I'm happy and whatever that Australians come out to the Soho Theatre and see yeah, some yeah, shows. Yeah. But, really... I'm not traveling halfway around the world to perform to Australians. Oh, yeah. Of you course. know, you'd prefer that. But you said that to me, too, that like first two nights, Australians and then locals yeah. who know about you, who have heard about you. And like, and it's a great bet. Same for me, by the way, on a much, 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 much smaller scale ever. Like first few nights, Americans who know my cousins. Or shit like that. <laughs> but like, but so is our, there are a lot of locals in. They don't really laugh. They clap. Oh. They like clapping. Okay. They like to clap to let you know that they understood the joke. Yeah, okay. That's interesting. And you talk a little slower. So what takes 20 minutes actually takes like 25, uh-huh. which is fine. And actually, I don't think most comedians know this. Slowing your stuff down almost never de- detracts from laughter. It actually only sort of intensifies it. You find timing much better. And it's just a joy. So Moscow is an absolute delight. Everyone has a great time. And like we're stars. Like we get out of the van – 
like at the venue and there are like two dozen kids like screaming running up to every one of us with like with like stuff that's never happened to me anywhere like just shoving like photos they've gotten off the internet in our faces asking us about like stuff they've read online like these kids are like the 600 comedy fans in moscow they are thrilled that we're there and like because they don't get english language comedy a lot Izar doesn't come every day so like they're just overjoyed right and also, there's this real sense of like something happening. Like we, did yeah, it's an event afterwards. Yeah, of course. And like they're there to see Izard do his his hits. They're there to see us do. Um, I was do, just like, checking if the battery because we didn't get fresh yeah, batteries, but it's course. okay. It turns out to be fine. And as I was, uh, you know, saying to you earlier in the podcast, they have a habit of losing these things, so I'm trying to good you know, make sure that it doesn't yeah. uh, disappear. Yes, but like Izard. Izard kills everyone. Kills Igor Mirson, the Russian comedian, compares. Everyone has a great time. And, like, we all go, oh, here's the real exciting thing. I'm not even sure if I should say this, but whatever. Go on. Um, so it's the one day a year, like, they have a Russian-style military parade. Like, one of the few things that, like, if North Koreans saw on TV, they'd be like, oh, yeah, we know that. Yeah. Like, just, a ro- like, rockets on, on, like, on jeeps, like, being driven by Putin, who stands in a viewing stand while, uh, while troops literally goose step past him, and, and everyone's like, this doesn't remind us of anything at all. Right. And, <laughs> and so... You're celebrating this anniversary in a very yeah, different way to the rest way. of us. Yeah, the Germans would never have this shit. They already feel guilty about the thing 70 years ago. That's like, what I do love about the Russians, and I mean... No it, irony. Like, and also the fact that, like, that whole losing the Cold War thing, they've really kind of, like, Putin certainly bounced back from any oh, yeah. of the shame that anybody had about it's that. It's like no one cares. Yeah. But so Putin is just like uh, – so this is one of the two days every like 10 – it's the 70th anniversary, so it's like every 10 years. And like it's one of those big events where like if the U.S. was on good terms with them, uh, Barack Obama would be there. Right. And like as it is, like the premier of China is there and like North Korea is there and like a whole bunch of, of countries are there. And like, and like Red Square is shut down just shut down but like and we're all gutted because we all want to go to red square Mm. we go anyway just to see what can happen and someone in like the entourage like one of the 600 comedy fans who like sort of latched onto us um and just like decided like he was coming with us uh an irish guy named johnny uh walks up to one of the police cars and he introduces us as sort of irish comedians because he's got connections to the irish embassy and uh, big Irish stars and some words are exchanged and uh, because of the way Russia is, we find ourselves being escorted into Red Square for 10 minutes. Red Square is like three times the size of Times Square. It's uh-huh. fucking enormous and we're alone in it. Us and two cops and a viewing stand that's being broken down by like workers who are very quiet. So like it's just us in Red Square taking photos and selfies like mad and wow. like the smacking of like metal pipes as the stand is being disassembled. And like I'm looking at like the crap like St. Basil's Cathedral in the distance and just thinking like this is way different than doing the comic strip on the Upper East Side. <laughs> But, like, that's what it is to travel. Right. Like, you get those experiences. Like, I got to meet a koala. Like, and when I was at, <laughs> I love at that Fieldsville. you say meet a koala. As if, yeah, like, that I was... wasn't going to hold it. Right. Like, oh, because you, you didn't hold the koala, right? Uh, no, never. I wrote an article for Guardian Australia about how I didn't want to meet a... or hold the koala. Why? But why Why not? I mean, if you're going to meet it, why don't you hold it? That's the thing that I, I, I don't like understand. I felt like an invasion of their personal space. Mate, they love it. It's showbiz for them. Really? Yeah. But none, wrote, none of them have been forced into it, mate. They by the way, it. I wrote this article and people wrote like, you're not a real Australian. And I was like, no. Yeah. 
I'm not. I'm not. I'm, I'm an American. Yeah, I'm literally sure. from another country. Yeah. I was yeah. like, I'm not sure if you read the article. Right. It well, was I, from an outsider's perspective. Yeah. That was it the was whole like, point. They don't want to meet you either. And I was like, yeah, that's that's why I don't want yeah. to meet them. <laughs> I respect them. People I love like, how Australians would just get aggressive about. But like, they just read the, the headline and then wrote yeah. the comment. They were like, yeah. Well, yeah, that's what people do. But like, They read the headline and then they make a comment people don't astounding my, my favorite comment at the back it, by the way if you ever put this comment on the bottom of a news article kill yourself yeah uh but uh he's like oh who are these people why is there a story about them yeah well mate there is that's like but one woman was like this I, is just, like, I don't just read the story but this woman was like one woman wrote like this is just to plug your comedy show at the comedy store and i was like yes yeah. this is like, literally you've got the point i was like this is why we do it yeah the only reason. I'm not actually passionate about A, The Guardian Australia or my opinions about koalas. No, I'm grateful they let me publish and I have something I want to talk about, but I'm not killing myself over no. how. In fact, I don't even care one way or other about meeting a koala. I just thought this would be a funny angle. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what it was. It's me to get in 20 jokes about koalas in a way that's not tacky because I don't want to tell it on stage to an Australian audience and be like, right. fucking get off. Yeah. But like, because they've heard a million times. But like... But like that stuff is so unique and like I feel like one of the things about comedians is they look back at after 10 years on the road in the states and they go what did I see I saw rooster teeth feathers and that was it and like and so like I thought if I'm going to do the road why not do the Amaral Palais in Germany or this unpronounceable venue in Moscow and like uh and it was and also you learn a lot. Like I learned a lot from like watching Izzard and like, honestly he wasn't in the best mood, but he still bucked it up to sort of be like friendly and sort of explain to me his path. And he still had all like the, the preparations and insecurities of a pro comic and like, and I loved him for it. Like I was really thrilled that he was this guy and like, he was never, you could see he was tired, but he was never difficult. People know this story if they've listened to the podcast regularly, but in, oh God, I don't even know when it was. I know I was doing a terrible show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? And uh, it was downstairs at the Victoria Hotel. Are you serious? Uh, and yeah, and I would have been who about- Who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? Okay. Uh, and uh, it would have been <laughs> about four or five years into me doing comedy, I suppose. Yeah. And Eddie is, uh, oh, maybe even a little bit longer than that. Maybe I was six or seven years up? in. So Izzard came to the oh show. And uh, it was, I mean, I would have been terrible. I was terrible at doing comedy then, even though I was doing quite well. I still I mean, feel terrible in front of uh, you, know. Yeah, but I, all I remember is like when there's somebody like that in the room, is like that you that's all you think about. I just did not give a shit about the other what maybe 180 people. Like that joke. And the one thing that I do remember is that he stuck around at the end to say that he enjoyed it even if he didn't. Uh but he, yeah, which I thought was very nice. But the thing that I remember about that was that he didn't need to be going and seeing people's shows. He didn't uh, need to be going and kind of like, you know, checking the, things out. How the fuck did anyone shoot Abraham Lincoln? Because if Abraham Lincoln was in the room and I was performing, even if I was watching, I would just go what does Abraham Lincoln think of that? Like, I would just be watching Lincoln nonstop. Like, and it feels like people didn't even know that he was there because like, yeah, as a comic, you just watch the person in the room that you respect. You're like, I can't believe they've come to see the show. And like, there are different degrees of that. Like, Stop playing a Lincoln, guys. Yeah. You guys playing a Lincoln again? Maybe that's why it was. Maybe Lincoln like, had like... Hey, hey guys, just go out yeah. there. And I'm sure that the next day they were, they were just like, what did the article say yeah. about... Did anyone say anything about the show? Yeah, did I like, get a... Did I get a mention? Uh, is it all about Lincoln being shot? Oh, look, the guy who plays Hamlet's good. That's what they said. They said it was. It's, it can't be all about Lincoln. Look, two people killed that night. Uh, Alex Edelman and John, John Wilkes Booth. <laughs> 
Well done. Well done you for remembering that. Well done you. I expect you to know that just because I assume that someone's mentioned on Tovat before, but still. But like I remember once someone told me that Russell Crowe would come to the show. Oh my god, you would have met you've you've met Russell Crowe at I some have. point, have well, you? Well, I mean this you know this podcast is named after Russell Crowe. 30 off of that, so it made me that yeah. made me kind of think wow. The the greatest moment in the history of the podcast was when on Google Predictive Text, if you put in T O F O, it now comes up first the podcast. Yes. Then his so what does Russell Crowe think of the podcast? I don't know. Um, I have never had direct feedback from Russell about the podcast because I have a complicated relationship with Russell Crowe. People understand this. It, I love Russell Crowe, but I love him for all his flaws as well. Like you know, me too. Like his shitty band and the fact. I mean, you may not know this. Everyone. I mean, these are things that come up all the time, but I love talking about them. You know, he started in New Zealand as a musician called Russ LaRock. No way. Yeah. Is that his real name? No. His name, I guess his real name is Russell Crowe, but he was Russ L-E-R-O-Q. <laughs> oh, my yeah, God. Russ I think LaRock. I knew, I think I knew that just yeah. from like seeing it somewhere. Oh, it's the best. And oh, actually, I'm going to show you a photo because someone posted one on the Facebook page just uh, no. today of I, him back in these days. So I think you're going to like what this. What is so he? I, will. I just wonder. But um, I, I, I have been doing gigs in the States. Let me come uh, on for a second. I've been doing gigs in the States that he has um, uh, plugged and stuff, like, you know, tweeted about and stuff like that. So I assume that he's, you know, um, I assume that he's, like, uh, aware of it. And I always hear from people that he's got a really, really good sense of humor. So hang on. Let's see. Oh, there we go. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh, Roman a, Antics. Yeah. yeah. So the, the song was obviously called Roman Antics. Get On it? Romantics. Oh, my God. <laughs> Oh my God, Russell Rock! I just imagine. Here's what. Here's what I've just imagined. Russell Crowe alone as as Russell Rock with that haircut. He's sitting in a hotel room in New Zealand, and he thinks of Roman antics. And as he writes it down, he mutters to himself in Russell Crowe voice. He goes, "Genius, genius, yeah, genius, mate, genius, mate, absolute fucking genius." genius. Oh my God, he was so. Someone did an interview with him uh, a few weeks ago. And they published it, and they went, he's smoking cigarette after oh, cigarette yeah. after cigarette, and I love that. Well, you know, he actually uh, also, um, he he loves to, um, oh, hang on, what's this? Russell Crowe, oh, is this a music video? Okay, this, no here way. we go. No way. Um, so, uh, yeah, he loves to smoke while he works out. Oh, my oh. God. Oh, look this at this. This is like Siona dancing. Yeah, it's kind of like. Do you know Siona dancing? It's Ricky Gervais's band. Yeah, and he's. This is actually not bad. Oh, hang on. He's looking through a, like a, what's that? A Venetian blind. A Venetian blind. They pulled a Venetian blind. Oh, oh no! he's trying it apart. Oh, he pulled the Venetian blind apart. He's looking through it. Oh, now he's seeing, oh, now he's lowered. Oh, and oh, he, the blind's back. and They cut to the front of oh, a Cadillac. And now he's just sitting there with his, oh my God, Russ. Oh my God. That's Do you think this is what made brilliant. him, this is his audition tape for Gladiator, actually. <laughs> I mean, this is. Absolutely amazing, and the and the I love the comment underneath it. The description of the of the um, of the video is just how young is he how here? How young is he here? <laughs> That's enough. That's all they want. This to has know. sixty thousand views. That is it. Yeah, but it's only had two hundred sixteen thumbs up and eight thumbs down. Who's giving <laughs> Russ the? Ro- oh, now he's dancing in the back of oh, the he's dancing. Like- Oh, and then okay. they cut to an interview. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much of this Russell Crowe has had suppressed. I want to know how much of how many people Russell Crowe oh. has killed to make sure that this footage, that more footage like this doesn't see the light of day. And I wonder if he fears it. 
Oh, man. Oh, my. Good best. All right. Hey, hey, Alex Edelman. Um, yeah. It's been an absolute pleasure. Yeah, to we've had to wrap up. Um, um, thank you so much for having me, man. Like, this is one of the, um, uh, like, uh, by the way, I encourage people to, can I say one last thing? Yeah. No, we're not, I mean, I'm, I, I'm really, the only thing I'm paranoid about is us running out of batteries yeah. and we still have batteries. So, it's good. so, like, I think that, like, the real, I wish there were more people who were, like, international focused, honestly. Like, I think Americans might not be aware of these festivals. And it's, like, scary to me because there are a lot of people who I think would benefit from, like, I think you're more likely to find your voice if you're aiming at an hour. I think you're much more likely to find a distinct persona if you're not just doing seven minutes of, like, strong material if you're aiming at an hour of strong material. And, like, I think, like, especially, like, young Americans and young American comedy fans, like, might not be aware of Edinburgh or Melbourne. Melbourne is Edinburgh with all of the horrible shit that I mentioned, send it away. Right. For, uh, for international acts. Yeah, I agree. and But no, but it's still a manageable size. It's still yeah. a size where there is a sense that everyone's still in it together. A oh, little yeah, bit. of course. Even though it can be a terrible experience for people, of course. Like, I mean, it's a massive festival and there's not enough people to go around and see every show. But and, and no matter who you are, you're still stressed about something. Like, you are the People's Choice Award. And you still, I'm sure, I, I've seen you. I know that you worry about... You, you worry about giving people a product of quality and it's a and it's something you're incredibly concerned with and you work all year round towards it and like and it's some you know what I mean? Like you've done how many hours now? Seventeen hours of 20? twenty? So hours. this year was twenty. So yeah, twenty. Unbelievable. Uh, well twenty and twenty one, because I did my other show as well. Yeah. But. So you're doing twenty one hours of comedy. Like that's a body of work now. So like Yeah, but not a body of great work. <laughs> Some of it's okay. It's 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 a it's a it's a body of work riddled with arthritis. Let's say right. that. It's very representative of Will Anderson. Yeah. Much like my actual body. It's got shaky knees. Uh, mate, uh, where can people find you on the internet? If this is the first time they've heard about you and they want to check out your stuff, um, can they follow you on Twitter, Facebook, yeah. places like that? Do you have a website? On Twitter, I'm Alex underscore Edelman, but my website is Alex Edelman Comedy if you want to see some stuff. And uh, I've got a show at the Edinburgh Festival, a new one. It's called Everything Handed to You. And, um, and uh, so is that your second? Second. Yeah. So second how do you hour. feel about the difficult second hour? Um, I mean, I have material. I have enough. But again, I'm nervous because yeah. you're nervous about – because what I did for the first hour was material that like the oldest joke was five years old and I kept improvising. So like it was a combination of stuff that I knew was going to kill and uh, although still dedicated to a theme and like uh, – and then stuff that was like me just doing the best I could like of recent stuff. So now the gestation period of material isn't five years to stage. It's like a year farm to table at most. So it's like uh, really difficult, but it's it's something like uh, I'm looking forward to. And I've got I've got enough material and like trying to form it into a thing and it's finding its feet and it's good. It, 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 I did it in Leicester. It got nominated for Best New Show. So that was really reassuring. Okay, good. And like that's another thing about awards. If you're unsure about your work, if someone tells you you're in the right direction, that's really, really useful. So that's what's so that's that's happening. Um, I've got uh, yeah, and I've got a website, Alex Edelman Comedy, which I already mentioned. I've got a Facebook, uh, Alex Edelman Comedian. But like, yeah, I think the best way to find me is through Twitter at Alex underscore Edelman. And uh, I'm like, yeah, I would encourage people to keep looking for young American comedians doing stuff abroad. 
Uh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Thanks mate. Thanks so much for having and, me, And uh, I, I will do a quick little plug for my tour. Uh, by the time you hear this, I'm pretty much done in London, but I am doing the show at Nerd Melt in Los Angeles on July the 11th. I am doing it at the Montreal Just for Last Festival Woo. on July 26th. That is uh, on sale now. It's the same venue as I did Illuminati last year. That sold out, so um, I'm not saying necessarily it will sell out again, but, you know, it'd be nice if it did, so maybe book early for that. I'm there all week doing shows, but the one that I would love if you came and saw is July 26th when I do free will there and of course Sydney and Perth which are the last two uh, cities on my Australian tour they're both on sale Justin Hamilton doing support at the Enmore and at the PCEC in Perth so uh, buy some tickets to that and I have a bunch of gigs in the States I'm doing like um, a lot of stuff around LA I'm going to oh, Madison, Wisconsin, I believe, to do State comedy. On Maine, yeah, comedy that's club? exactly great where club. I'm doing. Uh, so please come out and see the, the shows there. Everyone tells me that's a really great place. Um, so uh, it'd be cool if you came out and saw those. But I'll plug those as we get closer to those. Uh, and remember, if you're having a bad day, um, that everybody has a good side. Hitler killed Hitler. Yeah, brilliant.